Amen. We're in a series about love. You know, you were created for love. You were created to receive love, and you were created to overflow the love that you've received onto others. But for a lot of us, we got a bum start. As we were growing up, love wasn't the thing that we received. We received violence. We received words that aren't worth repeating. We received mantras that dug into our head to believe a lie about us that we still walk with till this day. But beloved, that is not the way. You were created to receive love deeply, pervasively. Only love can change your heart. I was thinking as I was coming up here, I was thinking about the things that I received from my parents. Because basically what you receive, you ever said, you know, I wonder if any of you ever had parents that smoked and you were like, that's nasty. And then you began to smoke. Or parents that drank. And you go, that's nasty. Or I'll never be like them. And then before you knew it, right, you began to drink. I started to think of some of the things that I had received from my parents. You know, I got from my mom. If there's any generosity in my life, I got it from my mom. My mom was like the embodiment of generosity. She was, my mom would literally, and I saw her do this many times, would literally give, her, give you her plate of food. And it's not like she would give you her plate of food and then she would have another plate of food. That was the only plate. My mom was like that. And she did it over and over and over again. The friends that I grew up with uh, can attest to that, that my mother would feed them before she would feed herself. She, she gave me generosity. See, I had to see it embodied in someone else and then it became a part of who I was. My dad, my dad gave me hard work. I'm a hard worker because of my dad. My dad actually was a truck driver, would wake up at 10 o'clock at night, would work all night long and come home somewhere around noon and then go to sleep and do it again. My dad was a super duper hard worker. I had to see it in somebody. Once I could see it in somebody, I could embody it if I could just see it. I am what I am because they, for good or for bad, embodied it. My mom was also a paranoid schizophrenic. So I always look to the future with fear and dread and loathing. I go, no, 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 I have a spiritual gift. I can tell all the bad things that are going to happen in the future. Which, by the way, is kind of helpful if you're a pastor of this particular church. It's actually pretty helpful because you can avoid a lot of negative stuff that happens in the future. But it's not always helpful when you're a dad. Not always helpful when you're a husband. My father was an angry, violent person. It's something I struggle with. See, in all these things, I had to see it embodied. I saw it lived out in someone else, and then it became a part of my life. 
This is true for all of us. You, you, weren't, you didn't think that you would grow up to be a jealous person, but you saw it embodied in someone, and then it became who you are. You didn't think that you were going to be an untrusting individual, but you were entrusted, and then you became untrustworthy, and then you didn't trust the others around you. You see, what we see lived out, what we live ourselves, is what we see lived out, and we move on through life. But you know, this is also true with the life-transforming love of Jesus. We can see it embodied and lived out in him because we're not just looking at love as a principle. We're looking at love as a person. And he will transform your life miraculously. You go, but there are things in my life that I can't change. Totally agree. But Jesus can change even the most fundamental things about you. Jesus can change that. He's miraculous that way. In fact, we've been um, starting our sermons each week with some song, one or another. And this week will be no different because we're speaking about love, so you got to have love songs. <laughs> now, I wonder, now, you got to understand, the songs that I'm bringing up are all old. There's no Drake. There's no, like, whatever, whatever. And even Drake might be old, right? Like, I might be showing my age even with that, right? But, like, there's no Megan the Stallion in my song selection, okay? It's all old because I'm old, which is all right. So today, I want you to see if you know this song. Tell me, tell me, tell me if you know this song. bunch of songbirds in here. Were my strength when I was weak. You were my what was it? What is it? My voice when I couldn't could speak. You were my eyes when I couldn't see. You saw the best there was in me. Lifted me up when I couldn't reach. You gave me faith because you believed. And then what's the last line? I'm, and let's all sing it together. I'm everything I am because you love me. Pause. Listen. I am everything I am because you loved me. See, we're not talking about a love that comes from a person. That only changes you so much. I mean, just ask any husband who's tried to change in the marriage, right? Once the wife is real good and, and, and upset, he can change. But once she calms down, see how that change goes right back to where it was. But that's all of us, isn't it? 
We could change so long as the consequences are big enough, right? Doctor comes up to you, says, you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. What do you do? Cold turkey. Don't smoke another cigarette. Let that doctor come back to you two years later. You know you have the youngs of a 15-year-old. All of a sudden, smoking becomes an option because death is not looming on the horizon. Beloved, listen to me. I, I used to listen to that song and cry because I never thought of anyone who was anything like that to me except one. There's one who we could actually sing that song about, that that's true. Because everybody you know, their love, it's conditional. It's messed up. It's limited. It's not a knock on anybody. It's just the truth about us. It's limited. You know, Paul knows this. The scriptures know this as well. And so Paul is going to share with us from God's word, Paul, the person who wrote 1 Corinthians, is going to share with us a portion of scripture that's going to speak not about you or me, but speak about someone greater than you or me. See, if we don't see who love is, we'll never act in loving ways. In fact, our big idea for today, this is the one thing I want you to remember. The one thing that you can't leave with today without committing to memory. This is the point of what we're talking about today. Before love is something you do, love is someone you meet. Because God knows that you and I will not be able to live out love unless we see it. And you can't give what you haven't received. But listen to me. You have received a love that comes from Christ. Love that not only comes from Christ, but Christ is literally love. He's the embodiment of love. And we'll see that as we go into our text. Today we're just going to go as far as verse 7. Okay? We're going to go as far as verse 7. Well, no, you know what? Let's read the whole chapter. Why don't we stand at the reading of God's word? Now, the reason that we stand at the reading of God's word is because we want, remember how we said everything we do is preparing a life, not just doing a service? We stand at the reading of God's word because we want our bodies to receive the fact that when we're reading God's word, that that has authority over our lives. And so we read God's word at attention. Let's read this. Well, I'll read it to you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. Love is not proud. 
Love doesn't dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, will, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this um, text. Now, that's totally appropriate to have this at your text, uh, as your text in your wedding. I think it speaks to love. It's very beautiful. But it also misses a lot of the point of what Paul is saying here. Paul is speaking to a church, a church that's in a city that's full of all sorts of idolatry and sin and going in the wrong direction. Well, this church gets called by Christ. This people get called by Christ to himself. He draws them in. And you know what they start doing in the gathered community, the church community? You know what they start doing? They start doing the same habits that they had out there, only they start doing in the community of God. The church. Have you ever been to a church where you've seen somebody uh, uh, just be impatient or mean-spirited? They, I want you to know that the church didn't give them that. They brought that with them. <laughs> you do realize that, right? Yes. Have you ever even thought to yourself, I don't go, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to gather with the believers. You know why? Bunch of hypocrites. To which my response always is, we always have room for one more. <laughs> You're welcome to be with us. The reason I say that is because all of us come with junk. All of us come with mess. All of us come with impatience. All of us and that's exactly what happened in this church. So Paul, in chapters 12 to 14, Paul is talking about what service looks like within the community of the believers. And then in 12, he starts saying, guys, you're just missing the point. And in the middle of this 
beautiful passage, 12 through 14. In chapter 13, he goes, let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you what you've missed out. Because everybody there, they wanted the upfront gifts. You know what I mean by the upfront gifts? I'm, 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 I have one of the upfront gifts. Like I'm speaking to you now. And sometimes people come up to me and when I speak, they say that I've helped them. It's a gift. But check this. Paul says you could be the kind of person who has a stadium of people that listen to you and be nowhere and nothing with God. If you do what you do outside of abiding in Christ, walking in love, then you've missed it completely. Musicians, singers, pastor, leaders, listen to me. It's possible to be in this ministry. So, man, you know what we do in this ministry? We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We house the homeless. We counsel the bereaved. We send to detox the addicted. We help people on a massive scale. This is literally our, our smallest gathering. We have Thousands of people that showed up yesterday, not thousands, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, almost a thousand people that showed up yesterday. This is it's a massive thing what God does through us. And you know, you could be nothing in the doing of it. Giving out bags of food, alleviating hunger. God says, you have nothing. You are nothing. Sing like an angel. Play like uh, Liberace. It's the only piano player I know. <laughs> I could have done better with that. Agreed. But you, could, you, could, you don't just see. You could speak. You could speak like you have angels coming out with every word that you say. And I could be a spiritual nothing. Because without love, that's what we are. So, the scriptures will tell us what love is not. Then it will tell us what love is. If we don't get that this is a rebuke. The reason that the scriptures are, the reason that Paul wrote this in the scriptures is because this, the, the whole beautiful thing, you know, that love is patient, love is kind, love is, he was telling them what they were not. In other words, when my wife is yelling is the only time I tell her, lower your voice. Why? I'm telling her what she's not. When I'm all anxious and wound up, my wife tells me to calm down. Why? Because she's telling me what I'm not. The scriptures are telling us what we're not. Let's look. Paul goes in, and this is Paul. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I, in other words, if I could preach, if I, and pick your favorite preacher, if I could speak and hold the attention of gatherings and congregations, if I could go into God's word in a way when I communicate it that people's lives are transformed, but I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what 
You know what he's saying? He's saying you're no better than the idolatrous temples that used to, literally, the temples in order to, we get this sometimes in America where we have um, church bells. I mean, we got a, a belfry. We don't have a bell in our thing. That would be cool. But um, it, it kind of uh, lets people know when the service, well, as a part of the ancient worship, they would, they would hit the gongs and, and then, and he goes, yeah, you know what? That's useless. That's in worship of a false god. Paul says you could preach like a prince and be as useful as a gong to a false god. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, that means if I could understand everything that's in God's word, I mean like really understand it and be able to teach, like be a Bible teacher, like, uh, like, like that gave people insights to God's word, but I do it. The reason I do it, you know why I do it? I do it because I want you to look at me and say, you are great. Way to go. I do it because I want your accolades. I want you to think of me as wonderful. And I have a faith that can move mountains. This is, this is not just like faith, like believing in Christ. This is like visionary faith. This is like believing God for great things. But do not have love. I am nothing. Could you imagine this? Think about this. Think about this for a second. If I give all I possess to the poor. <laughs> think about that. Like some of us get like really excited about ourselves. And really, really uh, when we put like $20 in the offering basket. Imagine giving everything. Like, all right, you're done. There's nothing that you have. Nothing that you have. I don't have a place to stay. I don't have a car to drive. I don't have a dollar in the account. I don't have a penny in my pocket. I don't have any other clothes other than the ones that I'm wearing. I've given away everything. Yeah, but you have no, no Christ in it. There's no love in it. Nothing. Useless. Beloved, this is sobering. The reason that this is sobering is because everything that you and I do, I bet you, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that everything that you and I do is for selfish gain. I'll bet you. You go, no, no, no. I'm, I'm kind to this person who was not kind to me. Many of us are kind, moral, good, upstanding people because we just don't want the consequences of not being kind, good, moral, upstanding people. It just makes sense. You see, listen to me. He's going at the heart of who we are and what we do. It's an offense. If I give all I possess to the poor, and listen to this, check this out. And give over my body to hardship that I may boast. Now, here there's a, uh, 
there's a debate about, like if you look in your thing, there's a little note that says, give my body over to the flames to burn. They don't know if it's boast or burn. It's a close word in the Greek. Could mean either. Could you imagine? Literally giving my body over to the flames for someone else and doing it for selfish reasons, not out of love. But do not have love, I gain nothing. See that? I am nothing, I gain nothing. Now watch this. Paul then goes from verse 4 to 7. He says, now I want you to see love as personified. Love is not a principle, it's a person. He goes, love is patient. Let's look at this list together. Think about this. Love is patient. Now go to the list where it says love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Let's do this together. Love does not boast. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Pop, pause. Now, let's do something absurd, okay? What if we, instead of putting love, put my name up there? Edwin is patient. Do you see how absurd this is? I'm not even going to read the whole thing. Because you know me. I'm none of these things. But wait. Look, look. Enter, listen, Edwin, Edwin is not easily angered. Tell that to my wife. I'm telling you, I was doing it this week. I'm weeping over this. It, but it's, you, it, it's funny. It is funny. You should laugh because you know that's not me. But wait, let's go one step further. What if we put your name up there? Now, check this out. What if you brought that home and gave it to your kids or your spouse? And you go, I'm going to read you a list of who I am. Let me tell you. And then you just went down the whole thing. You know that they would laugh at you the way you're laughing at me. You know why? Because this is not speaking of us. It's speaking of one who's greater than us. Now, let's really read it the way it's supposed to be read, okay? I want you to see Jesus. Jesus is patient. Let's pause for a second. Feel that. He's patient with you. He's patient with me. And I'm telling you, with me, he needs a lot of patience. Jesus is kind. The reason you are alive, breathing the breath that you're breathing right now, is because Jesus is kind. Even if you hate him with all your guts, he gives you the breath to hate him. He's kind. 
Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't uh, uh, boast. Jesus doesn't dishonor. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Let's pause there. See, some of you are so, you were so brought up with a parent who was just like any little thing. I literally remember I was walking down the street. Um, my son and I, I was, I'm making my home group meeting. And I was with my son. And I walked there because I'm getting old. And if I don't walk, I'm going to gain 20 pounds. So I'm with my son. And I have his hand. And we're walking. And I saw, um, a, must have been two years old. And the mom was in a hurry. And the two-year-old was walking with her, and he fell down. And she was angry at him. She was angry at him that he fell. And I thought to myself, oh, man, is that the way I look like? Is that, like, forget about her. Like, is, is that the way I am with others? Where they literally don't have the capacity to keep up, and I get mad at them for not being able to keep up. It's like the way I am. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not easily angered. You got left back? Cool. Jesus stays with you in that grade. You, you're not catching up faster? I should be better than that by now. Yeah, you should. But Jesus is not angered by you. He's with you. Jesus thinks, think about this. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Think about that. Think about the record of wrongs that you have for yourself. Forget about for others. The record of wrong that you have for yourself. Like, I sometimes think, I'll, I'll see Jesus in heaven and I'll go, Jesus, you know, Saturday, you know, 79, you know, 1970, well, I'm not that old. I was only six years old. But I mean, like Saturday, 86, I'm really sorry. And he'll go, what? What are you talking about? And I go, you know, you know, in that place and with that thing and did that thing. And he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, remember, I was wearing this and they were wearing that and I did this and I felt the shame and it carried that shame with me the whole of my life. He goes, you know, I carried that shame too. And because I did, I can't remember. See, Jesus keeps no records of wrongs. So the youth are upstairs, and you can hear them. Their Bible study is a little bit more ruckus than ours. Praise the Lord. But if you're like Jesus, you won't be easily angered by it. And you will be patient. Jesus keeps no record of wrong. Jesus does not. Jesus doesn't delight in evil, even with his enemies. Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus always protects. Even when you thought he wasn't. Even in moments, maybe you had moments growing up like mine where an adult walked in the room that you were in 
and lock the door and horrible things happened that day? You were not without, I was not without Jesus' protection even in that moment. Jesus always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never, Jesus never fails. You see, before love is something that we do, love is someone we must meet. Don't you see? Then we can truly sing, I'm everything I am. Because you loved me. You see, when we realize that Jesus is love, that he's done this for us, could you imagine? Could you imagine? When we see that, it transforms our hearts. Tim Keller says, if you see Jesus losing the infinite love of the Father out of his infinite love for you, it will melt your heart. You go, you go, I can't be patient. I can't be patient. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, could you remind me how you were patient with me? How the way this person's rebellion against me, remind me about how that looks just like my rebellion against you. Even with that woman who was walking that two-year-old kid, Lord, could you remind me how unreasonable I am with those that I love and how I blame them for my impatience. Jesus, could you just remind me of that? Could you help me as I see you be patient for me. You be kind to me. You not easily angered at me. As I see that, transform me to be a living embodiment of who you are and what you've done for me. It'll change your marriage, but we got to see Jesus. It'll change your relationship with your kids, but we got to look to Jesus. It will change Everything. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? When Paul was writing this down, he goes, love is patient. Could you imagine? Could he, he was thinking about where Jesus was on the cross saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Remember what Jesus said? Love, think about this. While he was being crucified. In other words, you and I need 20 years of distance and 10,000 hours of therapy before we could forgive the things that happened to us 40 years ago. While Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says this, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. By the way, you know he speaks that over your life when you rebel against him as well. Love always hopes. Jesus looks over. There's a thief. He's done so many bad things that he's deserved the death penalty. We know nothing about him other than he was a thief being executed next to Jesus, the worst of the worst. Jesus looks over to him and he says, 
And, and, and the guy, all he does is he looks to Jesus, recognizes that Jesus doesn't belong there and is someone far greater than he could ever imagine. And he said, just, just remember me. And you know what Jesus goes? I got one better for you. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Love always hopes. Love is not self-seeking. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. It's not self-seeking. Love always perseveres on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. Don't you see? Jesus is all that we've ever dreamt about, all the love that we've ever looked for, all that we've been talking about, you and I, having lived our lives looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus is the one with the love that we need, and until we receive him, what we'll, at best what we'll do is we'll change our outward actions, but our hearts won't be changed, which is a lot like changing the cup that you put your poison in. It could be a golden goblet, but there's still poison in there. We need Jesus. We don't just want to come to a church service. We want to be transformed by Jesus, but we're transformed by Jesus by looking to Jesus. Because remember, before love is something you do, love is someone you meet. Then we could sing, I am everything I am because you loved me. I'm going to close with an illustration. This is one of the most powerful illustrations that I've heard. It was by a guy by the name of Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon um, was a pastor like 120 years ago, and he, and he gave this illustration that I've never forgotten once I've read it. I mean, I literally, I read his sermons, and I cry, and, he, and I'm reading them. I can't imagine what it was like. It was like 120 years ago he wrote him. He said, there was a man, a poor, poor, poor farmer. The poor farmer, uh, in his little farm, grows this carrot. The carrot is massive. He looks at the carrot and he goes, whoa, this is the biggest carrot I've ever grown. This is amazing. He puts it on a cart. He takes it to the king, waits on a long line in order to have audience with the king. Comes before the king and he says this, Oh king, live forever. I have never grown a carrot this massive. And I could think of no greater honor for this carrot than to be consumed by my great king. Here, it's my offering, as petty and small as it is, it's my offering to you. The king is touched. This guy has nothing. He looks to the man. He goes, where's your property? He goes, it's over there. He goes, how many acres do you have? I have one acre. It's very small. He has nothing. Enough to feed his family, and he just gave away most of it to the king. He goes, I see your one acre. I'm going to extend you ten more. Thank you. And he receives the carrot. 
A few weeks later, a nobleman hears about the great generosity that the king gave to the pauper. And he says, if a carrot gets you 10 acres, how much will a horse get you? Because horses eat carrots, right? And so in that day, the horses are the Ferraris. I mean, they're very, very expensive. And so the guy comes, waits online, comes before the king and says, Oh, king, live forever. I have never had a horse greater than this one. And I could think of no greater honor for this horse than to be used by you. But this time, the king looked in his face and he discerned his heart, grabbed the horse, looked at the nobleman and said, thanks, and walked away. As he was walking away and the guy saw an, an unbelievable amount of money, it's like a Ferrari, hundreds of thousands of dollars, this guy is watching, walk away from him. As he's watching, the king turns around and he says, I bet you wonder why I gave the guy with the carrot 10 acres and I'm not going to give you a thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm actually wondering. The king said this. The reason is, when the pauper gave me the carrot, he was giving it to me. When you gave me the horse, you were giving it to yourself. Most of the kind things that I do for God, I give to myself. I come to a service because it's good for my soul. And the moment it stops feeling good to me, I stop coming. I read my Bible because my brain is like got all this junk in it and I want other stuff. But the moment it stops transforming my life, I'm done reading the scriptures. I'm generous because I think that if I'm generous and, and, and give a part of the offering that the Lord will bless me financially somewhere else. Don't you see? My offering isn't to God. My offering is to me. Beloved, before love is something you do, love is someone you meet. We meet in Christ everything that we need. I want you to Today, go God, create in me a supernatural transformation of love. That as others harm me and I'm to respond to them in love, help me to see you loving me and then overflow that over to others. They're being impatient with me. Help me to love them because you were patient with me. They're being mean-spirited towards me. Help me to love them because you are being kind to me. And there's no better way to celebrate this than to recognize when love laid his life down. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, I want to talk about love. He said, this is my body broken for you.
Don't forget that. It's my body broken for you. Then he took a cup at the end of the meal. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Don't forget what I've done for you. So, what are we saying? We're saying that if we're going to live supernatural lives of love, we're going to have to receive the supernatural love of Christ. His broken body, his shed blood for you. When you see that more deeply, it'll transform the way you respond to your spouse or your kids or your friends or your job or your boss or your coworkers or your employees. It'll change everything. We're going to continue in this series next week and ongoing to learn about what that'll look like in our lives. So I don't want you to miss, but I want you to see first that before you do the acts of love, you must meet the person of love. If you're here, would you receive Christ? And just, you want to receive Christ? You go, I don't know how. Here, let me give you a suggestion. It's as easy as A, B, C. You've heard me say this a thousand times. Admit, admit Admit that what God thinks about you is true. You and I are sinners. Just admit it. Stop fighting that. Admit it. A, admit. B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he died for you, rose again, taking the penalty of your sin, and then rose so that you might be Him taking the penalty of your sin so that you might be forgiven. Believe that. And then C, commit to the body of Christ and commit your body to Christ. We commit to the body of Christ because as you heard today when others were giving testimony, we need each other. We need a Eugene to invite us. We need another person. We just need each other. We need each other. So commit to the body of Christ and then commit your body to Christ. Wherever you want my words to say, wherever you want my feet to go, whatever you want my body to do, that's what I'll do. So. Let's pray this confession together and then take the elements reflecting on the love that God has given us. One, two, three. Oh Lord, no day of our lives passes that does not prove us guilty in your sight. Our best services are filthy rags. All things in us call for our rejection. However, all things in Christ plead for our acceptance. Grant us to hear your voice, assuring us that by your wounds we are healed, that you were bruised for our iniquities, that you became sin for us, that we might become righteous in you. Grant that by resting in your righteousness, we may hereafter walk in newness of life and run hard after your commandments through Jesus Christ our Lord. Take the bread, remembering the broken body of Christ.
on that same night that he said that my body would be broken for you, he also said my blood would be shed for you. Take it personal. Drink. Father, we come to you as people who love for selfish motives. We want our hearts to be transformed. We want to become people of love. Help us, O oh Lord, not only to come to the rest of this series to learn how to walk in love as we see the beauty and the wonder and receive Christ, but help us to invite others to let others know of this incredible gift that you've given us. Help us to receive and overflow your love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.